You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior. Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome and happy Monday to you all. Happy week two to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I am your host, Al Melchior. And with me today to kick the week off is Jim Finch, also from FanRag, FanRag Sports. Uh, Jim is the author of the weekly two-star pitcher column, uh, plus a lot of other uh, fantasy advice columns. So, uh, Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me again, Al. Always a pleasure. So, uh, like I say at the beginning of every single show, so much news, so much news to cover today. Uh, but I think I said every show because it's it's true every day. So let's get right to it. Uh, the Tigers are going to call up uh, prospect reliever, maybe future closer Joe Jimenez. Uh, so I know he was a a favorite of uh, our colleague Greg Jewett. Uh, I also view Jimenez as one of the better. Uh, closer in waiting stashes, even though, again, he didn't start the year in the majors, uh, but Jimenez now will be up in the majors. Um, Gary Sanchez to go for an MRI today uh, on the biceps injury. Of course, uh, Sanchez placed on the 10-day DL, so all of you Sanchez owners, myself included, had to go out and find a replacement. Uh, David Price through a bullpen session, uh, and uh, he's looking uh, to uh, throw another one uh, within the next couple of days. So uh, he's still potentially on target for a, uh, for a uh, May return, maybe mid-May at the very, very earliest for David Price. The Cardinals have activated Trevor Rosenthal from the 10-day disabled list. Uh, Justin Upton was scratched from the lineup, still dealing with the back issue. Uh, and Tommy Joseph, not in the lineup today for the Phillies, but I'm going to guess that that is, I haven't seen any sort of news on, uh, on Joseph in terms of an injury, but Brock Stacy's in the lineup. And I'm guessing that Pete McCannon just wanted to give uh, Stacy a day to, uh, to get in the lineup and, and stay fresh. And speaking of Pete McCannon, uh, Jim, a lot of closer intrigue, intrigue in Philadelphia. It looks like Jim Mar Gomez might be the first closer to lose his job. Blew his second save of the week on Sunday. Phillies did wind up coming back and winning that one in the, the bottom of the ninth. But uh, do you think it's safe to assume, Jim, that uh, Gomez is out in Philadelphia? I think we all assumed he was out before the season even started. And he was one of those guys <laughs> I know we talked about earlier that uh, we sort of compared him to Fernando Rodney as far as his value. So, I mean, just looking at draft rates alone, Hector Neris, he was drafted in twice as many leagues, so already people were anticipating this. The one thing I don't think that is settled on is who's actually going to close there, because uh, Benoit has been pretty good over the years. He has the closer experience, and I don't know if they're going to want to uh, want to put Neris right in there as closer, because you give him that establishment now and you add on to the arbitration dollars in the years to come, they might want to put him in a setup role behind Benoit for another year and maybe ease him into it. So I don't think it's a clear-cut case on who will actually get the closer job, but Neris, I mean, uh, Gomes is definitely out. 
I would think so. I mean, you know, we haven't heard anything officially, but the quote from McCann sure made it sound like it. He said he was going to talk to Gomez today and that there would be some news today. Um, so we haven't heard that yet from McCannon. I would assume that we'll, we'll hear something later on uh, in the day, today being Monday. But, you know, that, that phrasing. And also that earlier in the week after uh, Gomez blew the first save, that uh, I don't remember exactly what McCannon said, but basically, you know, that he was skating on thinner ice. So I have to agree with you, Jim. I think Gomez is definitely out. It's time to speculate on somebody. And, yeah, it's not a clear-cut case. I would think the thing to do is to speculate on Naris. Not that I'm, I'm convinced he's going to be the guy. I just think he's the best one out of the bunch. And I think whether it's now or in June or July, I, I think Naris is going to get a shot. But that, that's a tough situation. But maybe we, hopefully we'll know more later today. Uh, Edward Diaz did something he doesn't normally do on Sunday, which is uh, really just melt down. And of course that the situation was really started uh, in the ninth inning earlier on. Casey Fien uh, putting on uh, two walks and, and giving up two hits. But then uh, Edwin Diaz just came in and, and uh, really complicated the situation. He gave up another three earned runs, three hits, two more walks for Diaz. Any, any concerns at all there, uh, Jim? Um, considering how much confidence the team came into him, came into the season within it, in him, I'm really not too concerned about him losing the role. I mean, Nick Vincent was the guy that was supposed to be behind him, and he hasn't really done much to impress either. So whoever, whoever you might have looked at to replace him, isn't doing much better. <laughs> Give it another week or so. Let him, you know, let the season go on. Like like we've said for a while now, for a couple of weeks now. Spring training, the first couple of weeks of the season, you really can't overreact when it comes to the best players at each position, and he is one of the top ten closers coming into the season, so give him a little bit more time, and you know the team is going to, and he'll come around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's the right reaction, because you know, we've seen several closers blow up, and you know, in the case of Jemar Gomez, like you said, everybody was so down on him to start with, and I think Pete McCannon himself even knew that uh, you know, he wasn't necessarily the clear-cut choice for the Phillies. So, you know, Sam Dyson, I think, is another one where I think, you know, maybe another meltdown for him and, and you know, maybe it's over for, for uh, Sam Dyson as well. But, yeah, and somebody like Edwin Diaz or on opening day, you had Mark Melanson uh, blow up. And, yeah, I mean, for, for closers on that level, I, I think there's no reason to worry. But that's this is what we do in you know weeks one and two, <laughs> you know we don't have a lot of data and, and we gotta feel like we have to do something. But I don't think you should do anything when it comes to Edwin Diaz. Now another uh, this was on Saturday. Um, Luke Gregerson came in and Dallas Keuchel had just been cruising along, pitched an absolute gem, and then Luke Gregerson came into the game and uh, had one of his worst performances ever, possibly his worst ever. And I know from a, a uh, saves perspective, that's not at all relevant. But when I get the question, and Jim, I'm sure you get this question too, in terms of candidates for holds leagues or maybe closers and waiting, although I don't think Ken Giles is going to lose a job. But, you know, the, the elite non-closers, Gregerson's always one of the first names that I mention. So in those deeper leagues or leagues with unconventional uh, scoring for relievers, concern for Gregerson? Um, yeah, I would be... 
I'm not concerned about him long term, but right now Houston's bullpen is just so deep. You got Brad Peacock who's off to a decent start. Tony Sipp and Will Harris had good years last year, and you got Chris Davinsky who's doing them two or three innings in between, you know, every couple games. So you have the depth there to where. One or two blow-ups by Gregerson could push him a little bit down the pecking order, and it could affect him for holds. So if you owned him, if you're speculating for holds in some of those deeper leagues, maybe try Will Harris or Tony Sipp if they're out there, or Chris Davinsky, who's getting a lot of strikeouts and getting the innings. He'd probably be the first one I look at just for the sheer volume of work he's going to get. It's incredible. I don't know how what sort of pace he's going to settle into, but eight innings just in, in week one alone. and. Eight shutout innings. I mean, imagine if you had him. I'm sure not many people had him started, uh, given his role. But he, you know, he put up numbers that were probably you know as good or better than any starter. When you're talking about eight shutout innings, like you said, with the strikeouts. So Davinsky, I'm sure, uh, gaining in popularity in all sorts of formats now. I own Jeremy him, Bentonins, and Andrew. Sorry, I own him, Bentonins, and Andrew Miller in one league that I decided to punt saves on and just go with high volume strikeout closers so i mean a middle reliever so if you're not going for saves look for some of these high strikeout middle relievers yeah and yeah you got three good ones so that's that's a good way to go absolutely uh jeremy hulkson left sunday's game against the nationals with the right forearm cramp i haven't uh, seen any further updates on that but uh you know hulkson is somebody to to avoid this week for sure uh, the Nationals have re-signed Joe Nathan to a minor league deal, so I don't see much re- fancy relevance there. But I do believe that the Nationals' closer situation is one that could be in flux all year. But it's been a long, long time since Joe Nathan has been a closer-like reliever, and he hasn't pitched much in the majors last last couple of years. Josh Donaldson is aiming to return Tuesday from his calf injury. Jason Kipnis started a rehab outing or rehab stint rather with double a Akron on Sunday uh, coming back from his shoulder strain. He could be back within a week or so. Trevor Cahill was placed on the 10 day disabled list by the Padres with a lower back strain. Jim, what do you think about Cahill's debut uh, in week one? Um, it was sort of encouraging to where I might consider him like as a back-end starter. I know this week I had him listed as a 50-50 option. I wasn't starting him in Colorado, but against teams like Atlanta, the Marlins, some of the lower-end teams, I might have considered him. Now with the DL stint, Padres basically lost their best starter. And I don't know. We'll have to see what happens once he returns. Yeah, well, you know, and I would counter that, uh, even though he's not as good of a strikeout pitcher, that, um, yeah, I like Clayton Richard. It's not just because I went to Michigan. Um, <laughs> yeah, Clayton Richard, former Michigan quarterback. But um, you know, I thought that the outing he had against the Giants was sort of interesting. And I, I featured him in the Sunday Streamers piece, uh, actually, you know, the, the top featured pitcher in that piece because I thought the Giants were a really good matchup for him at Petco Park where Richard is so good against lefties and then you got the dangerous righties like Posey and, and Hunter Pence in, in the Giants lineup. And I thought, well, Petco Park's going to be a tough place for those right-handed bats. And sure enough, Posey and Pence went back-to-back with homers in that game. So it turned out not to be a very good outing at all for uh, for uh, Clayton Richard. But uh, I'm not, not really sure what to make of that because really other than the back-to-back homers, it wasn't wasn't that bad, but if you thought Cahill was better, then I think definitely Richard would be the ace of that staff right now. Although we had a good start from um, 
Yuli Shasin too over the weekend, which was uh, I, I don't want to be mean. I was going to say uncharacteristic, just the way he did it in terms of a lot of ground ball outs and pretty dominant. But yeah, I, I, I think we're avoiding that uh, rotation for the most part. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr.'s got a sprained right knee, so he's headed back to Boston for a set of tests. That's a situation to monitor. Uh, Hanley Ramirez and Greg Bird still out with the flu, but a little bit of good news for Greg Bird in that the sore foot that had him out of the Yankees lineup initially, that's fine now. Uh, now Bird is just dealing with the flu. So uh, probably players... Uh, if you're in a daily league, uh, you, you need to, uh, you know, obviously monitor their situations, but uh, you know, not going to be good probably for for a day or two. So, Jim, how'd your week one go? Um, for the most part, I did pretty good. I wound up winning three of the four matchups. One of them I got completely hosed because my hitting just none of them decided to hit together. But overall, I'm pretty happy with the production I've gotten. I had, uh, as I'm blanking now, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Who's on, who's on, I have six teams, so it's, I'm trying to think of players that I had on all of them and not coming. My, my page isn't loading it's, up now, so I'm not going to be able to even tell you who some of these players are. So Yeah, I, yeah and I had that problem on yesterday's show, so no, no worries. Well, let's, uh, before we head to break, let's take a quick look at the uh, weather forecasts. And for the most part, nothing to worry about if you're in a league with rolling lineup blocks or you're playing DFS or daily lineups league. The, the only game that looks like you need to watch at this point in terms of weather and there being uh, a postponement or an interruption would be the Dodgers and the Cubs at Wrigley Field. There's a 33% chance of precipitation there uh, starting at, uh, at game time, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. So otherwise... Looks good for the uh, the rest of the games, uh, the 10 games on the schedule today. So with that note, we'll come back and we'll talk about some of the standout performances from Sunday and take a look at some of the uh, Monday lineups right when we come back. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. Week 2 edition, Monday edition. With me today is Jim Finch, also from FanRag Sports. We've got some nice pitching going on on this Monday afternoon. Uh, Michael Pineda got the perfect storm of strikeout potential with Michael Pineda facing the Rays. And he's made the most of it. 11 strikeouts and 7 two-thirds. He is uh, now out of the game. Uh, only run he's allowed is a Logan Morrison solo homer. And on the other side there, uh, Alex Cobb. Three runs allowed in seven innings with seven strikeouts. So nice outing for both of them. And uh, as you would imagine, in Detroit, we got a pitcher's duel with uh, Justin Verlander and Chris Sale. Chris Sale getting the better of that. Boston up one nothing in the sixth inning. So, uh, Jim, let's, uh, as promised, I just want to take a quick look at the lineups. There's a couple of interesting things here. Uh, the Diamondbacks uh, this afternoon, they're going to face uh, uh, the Giants with Matt Moore the left-hander, and you've got David Peralta in the lineup. Uh, I know Chris Owings had filled in for him uh, in the one other game when the Diamondbacks had faced a lefty starter. So Peralta's starting today, Owings in at shortstop. And the Astros facing the lefty James Paxton. you got Josh Reddick in the lineup there, but no Nori Aoki. And in his place is Marwin Gonzalez. So you've got Yuli Gurriel at first base and Marwin Gonzalez getting yet another start 
in left field. And I tell you, A.J. Hinch, I think, just loves that guy. So uh, any thoughts on Marwin Gonzalez, Jim? <laughs> um, considering the number of at-bats he's gotten, it's surprising. But between him, Gurriel slumping at first base, I think you can see him start getting more, stealing more bats in the infield as opposed to the outfield. And I, he's starting to become an intriguing option for a mixed league, given his eligibility at the multiple positions. Yeah, no, there was a time last year where I had him in a uh, 15-team mixed league, and he was getting pretty steady at bats. So I, I think that's the – I wouldn't want him in a 12-teamer, but I think a little deeper than that, maybe 14, definitely 15. Uh, if he's getting this kind of playing time, I agree. I think uh, Marvin Gonzalez is somebody that, that needs, to be, uh, needs to be owned now. Uh, well, let's uh, – actually, before we get to the uh, standouts, should talk a little bit about uh, Roto Experts and their exclusive Edge in-season fantasy package. It's your ultimate bench coach for the 2017 season. Stay ahead of the pack with their in-depth statistical breakdowns, trend analysis, and player insights. Become a waiver wizard and learn how to scan the numbers like a Roto scientist. They help you set the ideal lineups every week. And this season, you get to build a fantasy training staff with their new injury advisor, powered by InsideInjuries.com. So get the Roto Experts exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package now and start soaring to the top of your standings. Enter promo code FREERADIO at the checkout for a special discount. All right, Jim. So let's go back, way back in time to Sunday and take a look at some of the more noteworthy performances, starting with Patrick Corbin, which depending on how you want to look at it, could be noteworthy in a good or a bad way. He did pitch six shutout innings against the Indians, but just three strikeouts and just five swings and misses out of 94 pitches thrown. So from this start, uh, are you seeing the glass half full or half empty? Um, I see it half full because we kind of expected last year when he returned for last year that he, uh, he would have some sort of an impact. Didn't really turn out that way, but, uh, see that first game i think it's uh, i think it's an encouraging sign especially against a good offensive team i absolutely agree a good offensive team uh, as you said and kept them from scoring and those five whiffs don't bother me too much i mean i do i'm not that interested in corbin if he doesn't improve as a strikeout pitcher but the indians are i would think probably the toughest team in the majors to get to swing and miss and to get strikeouts so i would not hold that start against corbin i think it's i think it's all good uh for patrick corbin there Daniel Norris, kind of a similar situation there, too. Six and a third innings in his first start. Uh, three runs allowed against the Red Sox. Another good opponent. But in his case, again, only two strikeouts. And also, the thing about Norris, Jim, that I just I found so intriguing in spring training was this is a guy who's always been a pretty extreme fly ball pitcher, had problems with the home run. And he was getting fly, uh, ground balls like crazy. So now in this start, his season debut against the Red Sox, 22 hit balls, 12 of them are fly balls. Maybe a slight improvement in terms of ratio, but I was kind of hoping for a big ground ball outing there from Daniel Norris. So, uh, you know, wh- where do you see him going from here? Um, it, well, it's sort of a similar situation to Corbin. He, I mean, numbers weren't great, but he was facing a great offensive team, so... The fact that he only gave up that many runs was the encouraging part for me. Yeah, the walks were a little high. You worry about the fly balls, but 
Mike, I'm going to say for the next couple of weeks, it's still early, still <laughs> working things out. So the fact that he kept the score low and kept his team in there, that was the more encouraging sign. And I think making it into the seventh inning, too, for Norris, because he's not always been able to go deep into games. So I, that too. You know, I think, yeah, I think there's more good than bad there for sure. Uh, Scott Feldman, a, a nice debut. That, that Reds rotation, some surprising uh, performances. We, we had uh, Finnegan and then Amir Garrett. Now Scott Feldman with a six-shutout inning performance at the Cardinals. That was a lineup that did not feature Stephen Piscotty. Of course, he's missed, he missed much of the weekend because of uh, various injuries. Uh, and that was the second time that the Cardinals got shut out by the Reds pitching staff in that series. So does this say something about the Reds' rotation? Or does it maybe say something about the Cardinals' lineup, whether it's with or without Piscotty, maybe not being as good as we thought? I think it's a combination of both. I think the Cardinals, they they have a good offensive team, but they're just off to a slow start to where they may be the guys to pick on early on if you have any sort of a halfway decent or streaming option out there that's going versus St. Louis. But it also speaks for Feldman, too. I mean, he was, I'm not going to say he was a great pitcher, but if you look at, the years he's had in Houston, Toronto, he put up an ERA in that three and a half, four range, which isn't bad, but now he's coming over to the National League, and we all know ERAs usually drop a point when they move over, so maybe he's worth someone to put in the back end of your rotation, at least, at the very least, someone you'd want for a streaming option going forward. I I do think Feldman has some two-start appeal. I mean, look, I probably wouldn't try to exploit that more than a handful of times, maybe three or four times in the season with the right, uh, you know, the right matchups. I don't know how he's going to fare at Great American Ballpark because you talk about him coming over to the NL, but uh, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough park that he's going to pitch in there. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, read too much. And the thing is, Feldman's been around long enough that I, you know people are not going to overreact to this outing the way that they may overreact to Amir Garrett, who we had never seen before in the major leagues. So... Um, I don't think we have to worry too much about that, but hey, I think Feldman could, you know, be right there in that upper threes ERA range and have some deeper league, uh, deeper league appeal. Uh, let's uh, move on over to some of the hitting performances, Jim. Freddie Freeman with a big, big game, four for five with two home runs and a double against the Pirates. Uh, now, for me, Freeman was kind of the last stop on the first base express that, you know, we had these seven really good high-end first basemen. And he and once he was on the board, and usually he was the last one out of that group on the board, then you know I knew I either had to move or, or probably wait a long time for first base. Did you have a more optimistic view on Freeman? Do you think he's more solidly in the middle of that elite group? You know, like right up there with say Anthony Rizzo or Joey Votto, or um, you know, or, or do you think maybe there's a little regression back from from what he did last season? I had him more in like the Jose Abreu kind of category. I didn't have him in the elite group. I didn't think he belonged in that first, second round tier with the rest of the big guys. But I've always liked Freeman. He's got a solid bat. He's always put up good numbers. I just didn't believe in the average and the power that he put up last year. I mean, I look at I look at Joey Votto and his first year when he had 30 home runs and everyone was all up in arms saying Joey Votto's arrived and the following year he was back to the same 20-something home runs with a good average. Mm-hmm. Still good numbers, overrated for what you would have paid for them. So I like Freeman. I wouldn't be upset if I had him on my team. I just wouldn't have paid for him in drafts. 
Yeah, well, and that's exactly the way I feel about it, too. I mean, I, I didn't get him in any draft because I didn't want to get to that point where, you know, I felt like I had to take Freeman. So, you know, I wound up with Encarnacion. I wound up with um, uh, Miguel Cabrera in, in a couple of leagues. Uh, you know, I really – I was pretty aggressive about first base. But I, I have to wonder. I mean, it, it's a very, very good start for Freddie Freeman, a great season last year. And, uh, you know, time will tell if – uh, last year was a bit of an outlier or, you know, if you and I maybe are, are giving Freeman a little bit of short shrift, uh, but too early to tell. Uh, the Royals with some power uh, against the Astros on Sunday. Mike Moustakis went two for five, hit his third home run of the season. His batting average is now up to 348. And not because or in spite of this, just taking kind of the longer view on this. I dropped Moustakis in a 10-team points league mixed points league uh, to get Ryan Healy, who I really liked as a streamer for this week, because I feel like Moustakas at third base, it's so deep that uh, I feel like he's, he's good, but he's replaceable. I feel like there's a good number of, of uh, players out there who could be about as good, you know, Nicholas Castellanos, just as an example, somebody who's on waivers in a lot of leagues, I think uh, wouldn't necessarily be a downgrade for Moustakas, you know, Healy himself, Travis Shaw, uh, do you think that was a dumb move <laughs> to uh, drop Moustakis after one week after I drafted him and, and just kind of view him as a streamer, or uh, do you think he's pretty replaceable? Not necessarily in a 10-team league. I look at the uh, fan, fan rag league that I'm in with Greg Jewett, and Moustakis is out in that league as well, as well as um, Nick Markakis is also available. I just picked him up today because uh, Kyle Seeger is, off to a slow start, but in a 10-team league, there's so much talent out there, and does your league have a uh, corner infield slot? No, uh, yeah, it's a standard uh, points league with no middle infield, uh, or I'm sorry, no middle or corner uh, infield slot, so... In that case, case, definitely he's an easy drop for that, because if you don't have the corner infield slot, you really have just one or two utility slots that you can use on anybody, and there's no point of time locking yourself down to a specific position for the, for your utility slot. So it's not a dumb thing dropping him. He, he, I mean, I, I, I've never doubted the power. I've always doubted the batting average. And the hot start he's off to right now, I don't see that holding. And if the average doesn't hold, then you're right. He is basically a replacement level in that size league and sort of in that 10 to 20 range of the rest of the third basemen that are out there. Yeah. Yeah, and again, again, this is a twelve-team league, but I think I think that applies there as well. Now, Salvador Perez, uh, I think you know, very solid number one catcher. Although I have concerns about the batting average with him, but the power, one for five on Sunday against the Astros, but his fourth home run of the year. So every year, it just seems like Perez improves the power more and more, but just takes more of a beating in terms of batting average. So in the early going, he's he's getting the both best of both worlds. But again, I, I think I said on yesterday's show, it's sort of dumb to talk about batting average after one week. <laughs> it's such a small sample. But so far, so good for, uh, for Salvador Perez. Well, we got to head into another break here. We got a few other hitters that I think are worth noting. We'll get to them. And Jim, we'll uh, talk about your two-start pitcher column also when we come back. So stick around. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and with me today is Jim Finch, also from FanRag Sports. 
Jim uh, pens the two-star pitchers column every week, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in this segment. But let's kick this off with some injury news. Uh, Trey Turner, who sustained the hamstring strain over the weekend, he is now on the 10-day disabled list. And that uh, still getting used to that, Jim, 10-day disabled list. Uh, but according to Mark Zuckerman of um, uh I was going to say CSN uh, Washington. I'm not sure if they, that he's still with them, but according to Mark Zuckerman, uh, that uh, Turner could miss just as few as eight games, given that there are a couple of off days during that DL span. So uh, not catastrophic for Turner owners, but if you're wondering what to do this week, uh, you definitely can rule him out, and uh, Stephen Drew will be filling in for Turner in the Nationals lineup. So, uh, Jim, well, let's get back to some of those uh, hitters that we were talking about in the previous segment. Kevin Kiermeyer had a nice game on Sunday against the Blue Jays, went three for four with a triple. So that brings his batting average up to 296 with a 406 on base percentage. And he also uh, got two steals in that game. So the one thing that you figured you could count on Kiermeyer for steals, he's coming through with that. The thing that he started to improve on late last season, the on base percentage, that's been there. Not a lot of power, really, although he did hit a triple in this game. But uh, how do you feel about Kiermaier at this point? Do you, do you think there's enough there to, to think that he's arrived as uh, a must-start guy in standard mixed leagues, or, or you still need to see more? Um, as a must-start, I mean, if, I probably would just because he's off to a hot start, and I'm never going to put any guy that's off to a hot start on the bench. So... He's definitely someone to be in there, but as far as the long haul, I'm still skeptical of the batting average. I mean, I know he's he's good at getting on base. He's got the speed, but the average, if you, you take away that average, bump it down to like 250, 260, you're looking at a 260 average with 30 steals. That's, that's almost like Ben Revere-type territory where it's not bad, but as far as the production goes, it's not bad. Right. I mean, you know, Revere would, you know, be better with batting average, but he's not going to have the power. You know, even Kiermaier, uh, you know, gives you 10 home runs. I mean, it's, you know, I think maybe when it's all said and done, that's not a bad comp, you know, if we're assuming Revere plays regularly, which, of course, right now at the Angels, we, we can't really assume that. But um, As I spill my bucket of words on the ground and you pick them up nicely for me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't realize I, I was doing a cleanup uh, job there, but uh, no, no. I mean, I, I, I got, got where you were going with that. Um, and look, I mean, I, I was pretty pumped about Kiermaier coming off of last season, and it was sort of funny to me because I looked at the the trend, particularly you know with that on pre, on base percentage really improving, and I thought you know people are just still not going to view Kevin Kiermaier as an offensive force. He's always going to be viewed as this glove first guy, and then in drafts he was this trendy sleeper. So it really kind of to me it took away a lot of his appeal that. You know, a lot of people were, were on board with that. Um, now, I think somebody who's going to, you know, he's very highly owned to start with, but I think may become much more popular in the early going is Nomar Mazzara. Now, not a big game at all on Sunday, went 0 for 3 with a walk. But he is, like, you know, Greg Jewett and I have talked about stat cast heroes, and I'm, I'm taking credit for a, a term that I think Greg coined. I just thought it was so perfect, stat cast heroes. Uh, Nomar Mazzara, after one week, leads the, the major leagues in average batted ball distance. And there's two parts, you know, based on the stat cast research, you know, there's two things that really go into determining power. And, you know, one is distance, but also 
well, actually, I should say three, exit velocity and then also the, the launch angle. And Mazzara also ranks fifth in the major leagues in average exit velocity. So he is just crushing the ball in the early going. Uh, is I thought he was sort of marginal for a standard mixed roto league on draft day. I really didn't go after Mazzara. I knew there was upside there, but I didn't want to bank on it. But, I mean, do you think already we're at the point where we see what Mazar could do and, and you think he needs to start every week? Yeah, I'm starting to think we undervalued him a little bit coming into the season. I saw him basically like a Stephen Piscotti, maybe a 280, 285 average with 20 home runs. I saw it. maybe the counting stats would improve from last year, but I didn't see the overall line improving that much. But mm-hmm. considering the power he's hitting for right now, he could – I could see him possibly hitting 25, 30 home runs this year. And, yeah, for right now, he's definitely a must-start. Yeah, I mean, those stats are just, uh, you know, they're, they're impressive. Uh, you know Escobar, this is something Greg pointed out on the show yesterday. You know Escobar has been something of a stat cast hero. He's one of the top players in terms of the number of batted balls that he's hit. I think it's uh, with an exit velocity, I want to say over 95. I uh, don't have that stat right in front of me, but he continues to, to be hot. He's batting 414 now after one week and finished it up with a two for five game with a walk. So, uh, you know, Escobar, we talked last segment about how deep third base is, and, and Escobar's definitely gotten buried there. Does he deserve a little more attention, or uh, you think this is just one of those one week outliers? I look at him the same way I look at Chase Headley. Once or twice a year, you're going to have those two to three weeks where they're just going to put up these phenomenal numbers where you're going to look at them and go, oh, my God, how did I miss this guy? And by the time you get around to actually picking him up, the numbers are going to go on a decline. So, I mean, I can see maybe in a deep league, over 15 teams maybe picking him up, but anything below that, I I don't see this early taking any kind of risks on a player like that when – there are players with more upside and long-term appeal on the waiver wire. Yeah, well, I think that I think that's extremely well put. You know, we know who Yunel Escobar is, and the last couple of seasons he's been really good for batting average, but not delivered much else. And I, I think that's the upside right there. We've already seen it. So, um, yeah, I think 15 teams. That's that's maybe the shallowest format where you need to be be reaching for him. So, Jim, I've been uh, talking a little bit about your two-star pitchers column in this episode. I think it's high time that we went through uh, some of those pitchers there. Now, again, I realize for a lot of people listening right now, even listening to the show live, that um, you know your lineups may have locked with first pitch today. But for those of you in daily lineup leagues or even weekly leagues where there's a rolling lineup lock, that uh, there's a lot of pitchers that you feature in that column that are still in play. And I'd like to start with James Shields because you had him fairly highly ranked for this week. He's got the uh, Indians and the Twins uh, on the road. So what uh, what appeal do you see with the uh, Shields this week? Uh, well, first, he's off to a decent start. I mean, that's just first and foremost. I've always been a Shields fan. I'm sort of a homer for him. So to see his spring numbers and to see the start he got off to, that just gives me a little bit of confidence early on. Like, I... Like I've said before, you always ride the hot hand, and he's definitely pitching well. But his numbers versus Cleveland, he's, again, as my computer freezes on this one, but he has like a three-and-a-half ERA over like 100 innings versus Cleveland. I mean, his record versus them is just terrific. And they were the one team on the schedule that I was most shaky about. So if he can handle Cleveland, 
I think he should be all right for the week. Yeah, I, you know, the things with Shields, with the two-start week, you could look at it that, you know, he can maybe absorb one bad start. Now, we talked earlier, the Indians, he's probably not going to get strikeouts against them, but it's one of two starts. Um, he did get five strikeouts and five and a third against the Tigers in his debut, which, you know, you alluded to um, good results in the, um, you know, in that debut. Did walk five batters, though, so I, I don't know. I, I, I see there's a low floor for Shields, but like I said, with two starts... Maybe he can overcome that, and and maybe and maybe he doesn't reach that floor. You know, maybe uh, you know, maybe he uh, he does okay. Uh, how about Charlie Morton? He's become sort of trendy after a very good debut. Uh, he's got a couple of road starts: the Mariners, uh, who he faced in his uh, season debut, and then the uh, Athletics. So you think Morton can uh, have a, a repeat performance against the uh, Mariners? At least for this week, yeah. I mean, the guys he's given up four runs over 23 innings going from spring training through his first start. So he's on a hot streak, and like I said in the article, when Charlie Morton gets on a hot streak, you just ride it until he collapses. So he's got the two good parks, and that, that's, that was basically my entire reasoning for starting him. I mean, just like Yulna Escobar, and like I said with Chase Headley, when these guys get on that hot streak, you take advantage of that until it falls apart. So if Morton's out, I'm sure Morton's out there in your league. If you need a two-star streamer this week, he's one of the guys I would definitely target. Yeah, no, he was out there in, in most of my leagues, and I, I did pass on him, but I, you know, I, I will admit I'm sort of intrigued. I'm going to lump them together with two other two-star pitchers, uh, and of course you wrote about all of them, so you wrote about all these guys. Brandon Finnegan, who's at the Pirates and then home versus the Brewers, and Dylan Bundy, who's got road starts at Boston and Toronto. Now, all three had really good week ones, but you know, I, I think each one ha- gives you a reason to doubt the, the, the performance in week one based on the longer-term trends. And I was actually very surprised to see that you had Dylan Bundy as one of your lowest-ranked starters. And I'm right there with you. Uh, so I was surprised to see, you know, see that you were there with me on that because I, based on the longer-term performance, I just don't trust Bundy. But just to go back to Morton and then um, – and then I'll let you talk about Finnegan and Bundy. Morton has always had problems getting right, uh, or I'm sorry, left-handed batters out. He did a great job against the Mariners in that first start. So, you know, it's just one game. But if I were to take a flyer, I think, well, you know, he did it before against this lineup with Robinson Cano and, and Kyle Seeger. So maybe he can do it again. But, uh, yeah, what do you see for this coming week with Finnegan and Bundy? Uh, any preference on which one I start on? Because I can uh, easily hit on Bundy first. Well, yeah, why don't you do that? Um, with Bundy, um, I mean, his, his 2016 numbers were bad. His road numbers are bad. He's hit the spring numbers are bad. I don't really – I know he's got a lot of potential, but he hasn't shown me any sort of potential. And you're putting him at Boston and at Toronto. You're putting him against a great offense in Boston. You're putting him at two great parks for hitters. Yeah, those two things right there combined with his numbers, I just want no part of that. Me neither. Me neither. So uh, you have a united front here. If you're thinking about uh, streaming in Dilly Bund- Dylan Bundy this week, I'd say don't do it. Take a wait and see approach and see if he can actually repeat what he did in his debut uh, against these two tough offenses in, like you said, tough venues. And how about Finnegan? He's he's sort of an intriguing guy. Like I mentioned, he's a third. He's this is a third year. For him, third-year pitchers usually take that next step forward, and he's shown some nice progression over the past couple of years. He's got 
decent match. I mean, they're not the best matchups in the world, Pittsburgh and Milwaukee, but they're safe enough to where his numbers this spring, his first start, his numbers coming up through this year, they're enough to make me feel safe starting him. Not overly confident, maybe as a mid-tier pitcher, but enough to where I would want to start him. Um, more or less than Morton? At this point, I would say less than Morton, but long-term, I would want Finnegan more. Yeah, I agree. Much more upside there with Finnegan. So, uh, well, there's a look at some two-star pitchers who might still be uh, viable for you this week, depending on your league format. We're going to head to our final break, and when we come back, we're going to answer a couple of Twitter questions and then uh, take a look at some players, uh, pitchers, and hitters who uh, might be out there on the waiver wire. So stick around. Welcome back, everyone, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. And my guest today from FanRag Sports is Jim Finch. Last segment, we talked about Jim's uh, two-star pitcher column. Jim, what's uh, next on tap for you uh, in terms of uh, what you're writing for FanRag? Um, prospects on Wednesday. I'm doing a weekly prospect column on basically covering three things. The guys that have just come up and what we should expect from them fantasy-wise. Guys to look at for redraft leagues for guys maybe you want to stash coming up in May, June, sometime in the future. And then a few guys to look at for keeper and dynasty leagues, either to trade for or away if they've gained some value or lost a few lost a few points here or there, and you may want to get rid of before their uh, before the bottom falls out in their stock. Well, so it sounds like you know whatever your format is, there's a prospect advice that you can use there. So that's that's going to be Wednesday. And uh, before we uh, we get to a couple of Twitter questions and, and take a look at uh, something that I just wrote for FanRag that, that just went up today, uh, take a quick look in at the games in progress. So that uh, Yankees-Rays game has really opened up now. It's 8-1 Yankees. Uh, but the Red Sox-Tigers, that's continued to be pretty much an offense-free zone. But the Tigers did tie it up. It was one nothing, And uh, in the bottom of the sixth, Ian Kinsler tied it up with the solo home run. So that is now 1-1. And Justin Verlander now top of the eighth out of the game. So his final line, seven runs, three hits, one run unearned with four strikeouts and two walks. So very nice start for Justin Verlander. Uh, Chris Sale still in the game, uh, seven innings, three hits, uh, one run, an earned run with nine strikeouts and no walks. So uh, no no complaints there unless, I guess, you, you wanted Verlander maybe to have more strikeouts. But frankly, that's a little greedy. So no complaints. All right, well, uh, let's uh, go to Twitter. We have a couple of questions here. This one from at the Rogue Button wants to know how to deal with the trade uh, that he's considering. Uh, Dynasty Points League, Sale and Hanniger in exchange for Trey Turner and DJ LeMahieu. So I'm not clear which side is, is, is which here, uh, but uh, it's trading uh, Chris Sale and Mitch Hanniger. Uh, one side for Trey Turner and DJ LeMahieu. So which which side do you like better? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, it's a dynasty points league. I, for points league, I always tend to lean toward the pitcher because pitchers tend to score more points. But I know 
some people were mer- worried about Sale with his move to Boston, but I'm not too concerned about that. But you also have the upside of Trey Turner, which yeah. can go one of two ways. I mean, he's all hype now. Is he going to live up to that hype? Do you trade for that? And if you do, you're giving away possibly the best pitcher in a deal with Sale as far as production to date. So I'm, I, pr- I would probably keep the Sale side. I would too. This is this is a good one. I could see why uh, why we got this question. Really tough, uh, and you broke that down well. And I would say that I mean I think Sale and Turner are pretty close in value. If there's a tiebreaker there, because it's a points format and Turner doesn't draw many walks, and because Sale is just so much more established as an elite producer, that I like the Sale part of that tandem a little better. And then Hanniger and Lemayhew, sort of the same deal there. Like I think Hanniger has incredible upside. But we already know that Lemayhu's really solid in uh, in a points format, so I'd probably give Lemayhu a little bit of an edge there. But but overall, yeah, in a in a squeaker, I'll take Sale and Hanniger uh, as well. And then we've got this from at this guy John One TV. Uh, he's got a, a pitcher conundrum for this week. So John, I hope uh, well since he sends the question, I'm going to assume he has a rolling lineup deadline. We've got Danny Salazar versus the White Sox, Michael Waka at the Yankees, and John Gray at the Giants. So those are your three options. Salazar at the White or versus the White Sox, Waka at the Yankees, Gray, John Gray at the Giants. Who you got? Um, Gray is definitely last on the list. I mean, he has him last. I'm going to keep him there. I I like Gray. I'm just not I just don't put him on the same level as those two pitchers. So I would probably keep him where he is. Salazar and Gray, I mean, I'm Salazar and Watcha. I'm probably leaning towards Salazar, but I'm, I've always been a Watcha fan. The only thing that has me hesitant on this is to start at New York, but Bird's out of the lineup. Sanchez is out of the lineup. You got two big bats right there, which could give the edge to Watcha. So eh, I'm going Salazar, but... I'm really torn on not starting Watcha. Well, and, and and Bird I think could be back for that one, but um, it's funny because I'm I'm going John Gray, and I'm not even thinking twice about it. <laughs> I uh, I actually just wrote a piece uh, over the weekend about how I, I'm just sort of done with Danny Salazar for a while uh, because for all the strikeouts, he he doesn't typically pitch deep into games. He's too too home run and too walk prone, uh, and and it just I've been uh, you know, I think I, I've just been blinded by the strikeouts for too long. So I'm going to go John Gray because I think, you know, he showed last year that he's, you know, he'll get you the strikeouts. He's not even really that vulnerable to the course uh, effect, but this is at San Francisco, which is arguably the toughest uh, hitters park in the majors. So while each one of these pitchers has, you know, some kind of flaw to worry about, I think Gray's got the best, the best situation there. So, uh, this guy, John, one TV. Um, we we haven't really helped you at all. <laughs> we we sort of split it right down the middle. So you're going to say that. Well, who's your second that. guy? Maybe that'll help out. Uh, Waka. Okay, so we got Waka in the middle for each one. So we may not be decided on the first guy, but we're at least decided Waka's in the middle. So maybe that helps him. So John, if yeah, you all played safe. Start Waka. All right. So, well, uh, let's finish up here, uh, Jim, with a piece that I just uh, recently did. Every uh, Monday, I'll be writing a waiver wire piece. Uh, 
I know among the three of us, we've, we've kind of split this up. Do you, you uh, do one of the waiver pieces, uh, Jim? I, I'm sorry, I forget, but uh, I know we've, we've Not kind for of fan rags. I do that for Fantasy yeah. Assembly. All right, so Fantasy Assembly, you know, you check, check that out. Um, I wrote the, the Monday piece for, for FanRag, and the players I, I featured for this week, one was Hector Neris, who we talked about in the first segment. But I also included, um, uh, talked about Amir Garrett earlier as well, but I included him and Kyle Freeland because both of them on Friday made their major league debuts, and both of them were outstanding. Freeland allowed one run in six innings. Amir Garrett, as we mentioned earlier, six shutout innings. And I see them pretty similarly valued uh, but not really quite ready for prime time. Not ready for twelve team mixed leagues. You think I'm being too pessimistic, or uh, Jim, or uh, you think caution is warranted for for both of these guys? Caution's warranted for any young pitcher, but as far as streamers go, if there's a pitcher that's starting out hot on the waiver wires, I'm throwing a dart at any single one of them early and often, and see what sticks. So take a shot on either one of them or both of them if you have some spare room in the bottom of your roster. All right, yeah, that's, you know, I'm a, guess a little bit more cautious, but um, I actually prefer Freeland, despite him being the Rockies pitcher. I, I like the fact that he's he's a ground ball guy who, you know, like John Gray. I, I don't know that his home road splits are, are really going to be that dreadful, and um, not necessarily a lot of strikeouts, but maybe maybe a guy who helps you with ERA. So uh, let's go into a couple of hitters: Ryan Zimmerman and Chris Owings, both off to very good starts. Where's your level of interest with either of those? 12-team mixed, deeper, and if so, how deep? Um, Owings, I'd probably say 12-team. Zimmer, he could be approaching 12-team. I mean, he did work with uh, he did work in the offseason to improve his swing. Yeah. So he's got some potential there as a corner infielder or utility player. And I think if you look at his uh, batted ball profile, I mean, his um, hard hit rate over the past mm-hmm. couple of years, He's been hitting the ball hard, so it's not like he forgot how to hit the ball. He's just had a lot of injuries, so there could be some intrigue there. Yeah. Well, uh, check out the uh, the column on FanRag Sports. Jim, we're pretty close to being out of time here, so uh, I want to thank you for joining me again today, and uh, hope uh, you all uh, have a good, good week, too. Hope it's off to a good start. And uh, stay tuned, because coming up next is the rotation with Gary and Thorne. We will be back on Thursday, so I'll see you then.